Hi everyone, welcome back to Transform the Norm, the podcast. My name is Plen Elsa and in this podcast we're going to look for answers to some difficult questions related to transitional justice and sexual reproductive health and rights. Together with a guest, we use this space to provide hands-on tools that we believe contribute to the work of humanitarian and development aid around the world. So great you're here to find out what we have to say. And today I'm talking to Jana Visse. Jana works just like me as an independent consultant and her expertise lies within the fields of gender, inclusivity and diversity and facilitating processes of social change. She has worked with numerous organizations and lives the life of a true digital nomad. I'm really excited to talk to you today, so welcome. Thanks so much, Plern, and yeah, excited to be on, a, on this uh, on this episode with you. Great, and um, yeah, we're just gonna dive right in because today we're gonna try to answer the question, how to design a framework for an inclusive working culture. And um, we discussed it before, and we thought it would be a good idea to first kind of deconstruct what an inclusive working culture is. But then we also both agree we should give a little disclaimer. We think it's a good idea to first acknowledge our position in this discussion, and that is that we are two white Western women. Um, that are There are many exclusive structures that do not affect us and never will. So even though our back- backgrounds allow us to zoom out and include other perspectives and experiences in our analysis, we should also stay critical of this and act accordingly. Having said that, everything we will discuss today is not aimed to a specific target audience and should not be understood as a singular truth because there's just not when it comes to uh, inclusive working culture. I think it's uh, important to acknowledge your position, uh, especially when we talk about topics such as diversity, inclusivity, equality, because we all come from different positions and we all have different experience. So I think it's it's a great starting point for today. Yeah, exactly. And we'll definitely touch upon that a bit more later. But first, um, what is an inclusive inclusive working culture? You know, like how do we define it and how do we deconstruct it? And I found a definition from Harvard University, um, namely creating and maintaining an inclusive workplace allows employees from all backgrounds and walks of life to achieve their fullest potential. An inclusive culture is one that accepts, values and views as strength, the differences we all bring to the table. I think I think it's a good starting point. I think it, it already touches upon different elements. I think, um, well, why is it important we discuss this topic? I would say people spend a lot of time on a daily basis on their jobs, right? And it should be a place where everybody feels respected at home, where they can be themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's that's really central to what an inclusive organization or an inclusive working culture is. It, yeah, and that, in that sense, it should be a place where everybody can thrive and has the opportunity to become the best version of itself, irrespective of who you are or, or how you identify yourself, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I really like that, that it's that it should be a space that sh- should carry you instead of working against you. You know, it's, it's, it should be a mean to to reach your potential as a human being or as an individual or even if a, if a, as a community, if, you, if that's your preferred way of working. Um, something else I want to add is that um, often I think one of the misconceptions of inclusive working culture is that it's only about the job itself and when you're already working there. But for me, it, I, I kind of see creating an inclusive working culture in three uh, levels. Um, the first one is 
uh, one step even before that, the accessibility. So it's not just about when you're over there, but about being able to even look at specific places you want to work, to be able to apply for those, and to be even considered for those. That, for me, is already um, a big part that, it, that might, yeah, can be forgotten often. And then secondly yeah. is the job itself, um, that it needs to be adaptable to your skills. And then the office culture itself, so really the space where you are, the people that you are working with and for. Um, so those are the three levels that I would also like to add and just to deconstruct it a bit more. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's really important. And I think later on in the conversation, we might also jump to to uh, good examples. But I would say there's there's a, a different point as well, which I think is important is to make. Uh, it's important to make also a distinction between creating a diverse company and an inclusive working company in terms of if you only look at a diverse workforce, it means having a headcount of various gender, races, sexual orientations. But an inclusive working culture is so much more, right? It, it moves beyond, mm -hmm. it separates itself from possible unconscious uh, biases in a work environment. It makes sure that they facilitate uh, in an inclusive way. So I think it touches really upon the three lines you just mentioned. Yeah. Would you maybe say that you would need a working place to be diverse in order to be uh, inclusive? Um, I, I don't think it necessarily needs to be in that, that order. I think you could still be an inclusive organization, but still taking steps in attracting uh, a more diverse workforce. But I would say you can have a diverse workforce without being inclusive. And so if you don't facilitate yeah. your employees, if you don't offer equal opportunities, if you are not allowing people to to grow and, and thrive in their own ways and build on their, on their mm -hmm. diverse backgrounds, needs, identities, ambitions, then what means diversity in a workforce? Yeah, then it's just, let's say, a number or a quota or something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And if we then move on to see, uh, because we already touched upon a couple of those, like what are the different levels we can work with um, for creating an inclusive working culture? Because there is many. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think we can distinguish many different levels. Uh, but I would say there are three main levels that are important if an inclusive working culture is your entry point. Uh, but maybe before diving into the three levels, I think it's also important to acknowledge that inequalities um, and non-inclusive practices are systemic. And I think that's also the reason mm -hmm. why it's important to challenge those on different levels, also if the entry point is creating an inclusive uh, working culture, simply because people carry multiple identities. You're not just an employee, but also somebody's wife, somebody's friend. And I would say the same goes for organizations. They are also not static entities. They also uh, are being influenced by societal systems and structures. Um, so maybe that is a small disclaimer uh, as well on the levels, but I would say the three main levels for me would be the country level or the interaction between different countries and, and cultures, so more the, the macro level and how that mm -hmm. is influencing organizations and working cultures. So for example, uh, through policies and laws that are in place at country levels to ensure inclusive labor practices take place. Then the second level is more of the meso level, so really the organizational level itself. And on this level, you can really look at the organization itself and the way it functions internally and externally, I would say. So for example, HR policies, leadership, communication, working hours, etc. And then the third level, I would call the micro level, is 
really referring to the individual level. So it's more focused on individual behavior. So the way an individual acts, but also the thoughts we have, the biases we might carry. Yeah. How do you yeah, see those two those, levels? I think I agree with everything you're saying. Maybe we can quickly touch upon uh, some country level um examples as you already did quickly but it would be really interesting to discuss some really concrete meso and uh, micro level uh, examples yeah definitely and and i think there there exists a lot of different laws regulations and and standards on country level eu level un level and i think some of these measures are mandatory so for example so equal pay for equal work laws exist in a lot of countries nowadays locally but there are mm -hmm. also a lot more voluntary and guiding standards which oftentimes also include guidelines for organizations on how to improve on their inclusive practices from more of a human rights approach so i think i think there exists a lot of good examples which might not be mandatory for organizations, but they can really tap into in, in uh, increasing their inclusive practices. So one example, I think a good one to mention is the International Labour Organization, who brings together governments, employers, workers to really set new labour standards, develop policies. And I think that that's a really good resource to, to also find guiding documents on, on how to approach certain topics you would like to work to work on. Definitely. I think that is a really great example of the facilities that are there for organiza organizations that want to implement this. And luckily, there is also some laws that are mandatory for countries and organizations. Um, I think there's still a lot to gain in this field of making making those things mandatory. And I'm just, for example, if you look at, at quotas, you know, it's still something that is encouraged in some ways. And of course, this also it receives a lot of critique. But I, yeah, I'm curious how you feel about quotas because I'm personally, I'm in favor of quotas, uh, not because they're in a complete um, measure, but I do see the potential. And if you make them somewhat mandatory, they could already do so much, especially in making workplaces diverse, which we already established is really imp important uh, part of the process of also becoming an inclusive working culture. No, definitely. I, I completely agree. I think quotas should be mandatory at this point. I mean, I, I think uh, a quota could, could be a great starting point. It doesn't mean it should be there forever, but in order to really change those uh, structural inequalities in, in numbers as well, I think a quota is a great starting point. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, that is both country level as well as organizational level. I think as an organization, if you kind of really implement that in your policy, your your company's policy, you're, you're, that's already such a big step. Yes, definitely. And I think you mentioned also an important point here. I mean, that certain policies or regulations are not mandatory on country level doesn't mean you cannot strive for more on the organizational level. Definitely. Well, I think I think on organizational level, there are a lot of different elements you, you can work on. I would say a good starting place for a lot of organizations usually are inclusive HR policies and practices. We already touched upon this in the beginning of our conversation. Um, but I think in this regard, equal pay for equal work um, again comes back. I mean, there's still a gender pay gap, for example, in Europe of around 14%. Globally, the gender pay gap even stands at 16%. 
Um, so I think it's important that organizations also take accountability and look into their, uh, their pay gap and what can you do about it. And I think a lot of organizations kind of assume they don't have a gender pay gap because they feel like they are working on inclusive practices. But I think if we would review a pay gap in, in organizations, in a lot of organizations still nowadays that, that exist, it's there. Um, mm. But I think there are also a lot of other HR policies and practices you can work on. Think about your maternity and partner leave. Make sure those are inclusive. And also, for example, promote partner leave. I know a lot of people that are not aware of the partner leave. They know the rules around the maternity leave, but they just don't know what the facilities are within their organization in terms of partner leave. Um, yeah. so I think that's, that's also important to proactively communicate and stimulate it as an inclusive organization yeah i think that's that's a really good one um so it's not necessarily what you already have on paper it's already in your policy but also to actively try to to stimulate that in terms of like hr policies i was also thinking about inclusive recruitment strategies like kind of linking back into like the accessibility of, of a working place or a job so yeah, I would really vouch for like inclusive like recruitment strategy that really allows for people to apply on, on based on their personal skills, not necessarily only on their achievements. I think that's just a really important way to create yeah a diverse workplace and that it really helps bringing together a group of people that is our true reflection of society, you know. And and I think it's a difficult one because of course if you want to hire someone, you need to set some boundaries in a way or des design a bit of a framework because let's also be fair, there's only so much time you can spend on recruiting. But I think there are more that we can do for to make uh, job applications more inclusive. What do you think? No, definitely. I completely agree with you. I think it's also about how do you write the vacancies indeed, what tone do you use, what examples do you give, but also where do you post your vacancies? And then yeah. next, if you invite people to come over for an interview. What questions do you ask? How do you facilitate an interview? Uh, how do you make people comfortable? But also for HR managers, how do you tackle recruitment bias, for example? Yeah, and maybe interesting for to look uh, quickly for an organizational level also about like the space that you then will be working in. How how can we make that inclusive? And I am um, personally a big. Uh, fan and I really advocate for creating safe spaces and I think if you look at the workforce or the workplace this could be either done through an external party or there is of course like physical safe spaces for um, religious purposes or uh, breastfeeding or you know maybe there, there should be in general just be a space that is just safe and that is just there for you to go to whenever you need a, 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 yeah, a moment for yourself I think that is like a physical version of creating a safe space. Then I think there's also the uh, opportunity for um, organizations to implement regular moments of for reflection, for growth and for team building. I think that's super crucial when it comes to designing an inclusive working culture. Yes, definitely. I think I think you touched upon some really important uh, elements of, of facilitating uh, an inclusive and, and safe working environment. And I think that that also 
goes for the way you organize meetings. How do you facilitate that everybody feels comfortable in a meeting to speak out? Do you set up rules of engagement within your organization? When you schedule, for example, a meeting, do you, do you think about at what time you host the meeting? For example, during praying times, or do you consider uh, that maybe 9 a.m. on a Monday morning might not be the best moment to schedule a meeting with colleagues that have to drop off their kids first, for example. So I think you can you can think about these things on a lot of different levels. Yeah, and then let's let's maybe let's continue to individual level. This whole workspace, other than the bosses or the HR managers, you know, there's also just the individual level of people that actually. Uh, are the employees and maybe not so much have a managerial function. I think that's also really interesting to look at because there's a lot of about interrelations between people as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, in the end, we're all individuals forming a workforce. So yeah, it's it's definitely an, um, a main one. I would say like a first recommendation would be challenge your biases. And Maybe this sounds as a relief for somebody listening to this podcast, but we all have biases. I have them, you have them. And yeah. that's just the way our brain works, right? In order to process all the information and interactions we, uh, we engage in every day, our brain makes certain shortcuts in order to, to process everything. However, I think uh, we can be more conscious about our biases and we can challenge them to become more self-aware of them, to better understand where they come from and then also actively challenge them in, in the way we, we act and respond to them. So that, that for me would be, would be really a critical first one on the individual level. Yeah, I think the first one and the main one probably because I think in terms of communication is also uh, where you can really ask yourself like, what types of wording do I use to maybe describe this person or to describe or like to communicate with this person? Is it different than, than with another person? And uh, I think that's a good way to kind of test yourself in, in your biases, maybe. Yes, definitely. And I think also be mindful about how you frame your, your opinion in certain matters, uh, especially if, if they can be perceived sensitive by others. Say, for example, uh, from my experience or I believe or from how I see the topic rather than just presenting it as sort of one truth that is not existing. Yeah. While you're saying that, I was thinking of something else because there's also personalities, right? And we're all individuals and we all like to work in different ways and we like to, yeah, we have different ways of expressing ourselves. And I think before we even reflect upon this in relation to others, it's also really important to know what you like as an individual. Maybe you're more introverted, maybe you're extroverted, maybe you you like to listen first and let it sink in and then formulate your opinion through feedback or getting back to your boss or something. And some people are more straightforward and uh, both are fine. And I think it's really important to also realize within a working culture that one is not necessarily better than the other, because I think, you know, often it's appreciated that you just like uh, whoever screams the loudest uh, mm -hmm. um, is the best, so to say. And I think that's just not true. So it's really important for you to, for yourself to feel safe uh, in your work environment. You also just know what you, how you like to work and um, yeah, just embrace the way that it is. Does that make sense? No, definitely. It, it does. And I think also understanding 
yourself and your preferences can also help creating empathy for others to to open up yeah. your mind to listen to others to to read up about certain things and to to find common grounds for collaboration in this yeah that definitely makes sense yeah we've been discussing all of this with having in mind that, that people might be advising an organization on an inclusivity policy or maybe people working on improving uh, collaboration with colleagues or maybe people are designing a project where you will have to be working with other people let's try come up with some concrete uh, tips or maybe summarize what we discussed um, that people can take away to keep it concise and tangible for people let's see what do you think for organizational level was was one that we really need to include well, i think we touched upon a lot of different elements and i think if you are a director, a team manager, an HR advisor, or any other employee and an organization, and you feel like your organization could do better on inclusivity, think about conducting an inclusivity audit. And an inclusivity audit is focused on gaining a good understanding of how an organization is doing in terms of being an inclusive organization. And it's really a proactive way to solicit feedback and highlight any inclusivity issues at the workplace. So can provide you with quantitative and qualitative data. Um, you will look into perceptions, levels of satisfaction, uh, experiences among your employees, but you can also review policies, accountability structures, reports, etc. And I think you can really facilitate this in, in a participatory and action-oriented way so that as an organization, you really can do better in the future. Um, and I think the beauty of conducting such an inclusivity audit is that you can touch upon a lot of different elements we have been discussing uh, today. Yeah, I think that that is quite an inclusive and holistic um, approach to for, for designing an inclusive working culture because it's, it really feels like it's the first step that you do to then base your policies or your actions upon. Um, I think that's a really nice one. And maybe to add to that, um, for me personally, would be the design and development of safe spaces within the workforce. Definitely the physical ones we talked about, but also really be aware of, of, um, of there needed to be a space for reflection, for feedback and for, um, for open communication about the working environment, about the, the, the working culture and about the job itself without it necessarily being linked to um, having consequences. So maybe this could be designed in a way of someone externally coming in on a regular basis just to sit down with people um, to kind of really have a neutral discussion about this. And of course, we talked about quotas and about inclusive HR um, policies, but I feel like that kind of comes out all of these. because So it's really a lot about reflecting, about seeing what is needed and what is wanted by the people that you work with and or want to work with and according to that really develop policies and and other actions what do you think definitely and i think the same goes for for the inclusivity audit as creating the safe spaces i would say i think the beauty of both is that you can really approach it in a proactive way and to really tackle those non-inclusive practices rather than waiting until non-inclusive practices come to the forefront and then acting upon it and i think it can be both deployed by, by any organization, NGOs, private sector organizations, movements, voluntary organizations, organizations that are new to the topics, uh, but also organizations that already worked on these topics can still benefit from reviewing and, and improving. And 
Exactly. Yeah, completely agree. And um, <clears throat> if we didn't look at the individual level, um, I think there's also two that really stuck out from what we said. Do you, do you maybe want to start with the first one? Uh, I would say challenge your biases is definitely a yeah. first one. And I think challenges, challenging your biases also really interlinks for me with um, acknowledging your position of privilege if you are in a position of privilege. And then also using that position to question systems that perpetuate inequalities and, and just striving to change them. Yes, exactly. So it's about this challenging this bias. And I think what I would like to add to that is to if take it even more to a personal level is what we just discussed about really figuring out how you like to work and what you consider as a safe environment for you to flourish in. What do you need to create that and, um, and how can you get it? Thanks, Jana, very much for joining me today. Um, of course, for people, feel free to reach out on transformthenorm.co, my website. They can also find you online. What is your, where can people find you? Uh, well, I think you mentioned this before. I'm working as an independent consultant under the name Jana Fischer Consultancy. Uh, so you can browse that and then you will, uh, you will find me on both LinkedIn and my own website. Perfect. I hope you enjoyed listening to this talk and um, yeah, looking forward to the next one.